As you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. We just introduced late season pricing. You can choose from season long, four week or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use code SHARP25 for 25% off any product site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is the resident Swami of Konami here back with another fantasy football show. I hope everyone had a great holiday. I took last week off on the fantasy show. I hope you guys all had a really good Thanksgiving. And we are in week 13. A lot of, you know, main FFPC playoffs are starting. It's the final two weeks of the regular season. So I had to phone a friend, the, the biggest friend of all I could find, uh, the big dog in the fantasy industry. And that is one. Evan Silva from Established to Run. Evan, what is going on, brother? What's going on, man? Is this the uh, last week of bye weeks? No, there's one more. There's one more. We uh, we have two teams on bye next week, right? And four. we have four this four. week. Is that correct? All right. One, All right. Nice. One last week. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is on bye. So if anyone wins That's this right. week in these in, you know, in these big super contests that have Jonathan Taylor, you get the nice matchup with the Texans to open these playoffs, mm-hmm. and he's just he doesn't play next week. Yep. Yep. So yeah, a couple of big weeks uh, left, but it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's always a wild season. It's always a crazy season. Um, but this is the longest season ever. And it, it would be nice to be able to fast forward to the finish line and get right into the playoffs. But uh, you know, we, we, we have, we have a lot of games left. I mean, there, there's le- <laughs> legit a lot of football left. Yeah, I mean, basically all these playoff spots are up for grabs uh, in, in the real NFL, too. And, and and honestly, that's been reflective, I think, in a lot of my fantasy football leagues this year as well. There might be like a, a team that's pulled away, but literally the middle of these fantasy leagues are all teams that are sitting on like seven and five or five to seven records, still jacking to see, you know, am I still alive? My team Like the real NFL good. almost. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of mirrored yeah. it in a sense. Um, is that what you've kind of found in your leagues, too? I would say so. I would say so. Um, it's been, I mean, a year. I would say that normally, it feels like normally, um, that early in the season, you get a ton of injuries, like weeks one through three, and then it starts to level off. Um, but this year, we've had a bunch of, of weeks in the middle where there have been a ton of injuries. I mean, this past week, in terms of skill position player injuries, Beginning on Thanksgiving, continuing all the way through, you know, Sunday night, it, it, it was a mash. I mean, it, it, it was really bad. And we have we have guys that, you know, didn't necessarily have serious injuries, but they're injuries that we have to monitor or injuries that are expected to cost, you know, a guy one or two weeks. Like Debo Samuel is a good example, you know, uh, the on the minor end, like uh, the two Rams guys, Daryl Henderson, Odell Beckham. Um, but I mean, the, the, it, it's a long list of injuries that you have to monitor, not necessarily ACL tears, Achilles, Achilles tears or anything like that, but injuries that can cost guys one or two games here or there. And as you mentioned, with all of the, you know, the teams that are like seven and five, you know, et cetera, like, there, you know, there, there's a very small margin of error. So, um, you know, being on top of all this stuff, I mean, it's, it, I'll say this. I think it's been a positive year in terms of like meritocracy because the dudes that are working the hardest, th- those are the guys that are that are in, in the guys and gals that are benefiting this year. 
Yeah, it's been a complete year where you've had to use your full roster, like your, your all your bench spots and rotate guys out. Because like you said, it's not these guys that have been out, like guys who just missed the season. We've had a lot of pockets where a guy misses four weeks or three weeks or two weeks, and we're just trying to plug in holes and play matchups that fit those weeks. And you don't necessarily always have their backups. And it's been that type of season. So uh, it's really kind of really made it so you're uh, the, not just a war of attrition on survivor, survivorship, but also just on who can use their, their bench the best, the best capacity, and how much is your bench coming into play this year. And that's been a real big mm-hmm. kind of component this year. I mean, I have a league where it's like, I've been like, I don't think I've played the same three receivers in any week <laughs> at all this season, um, but still alive and fighting because, you know, you get lucky, you get them right. You, you know, we try to get into the weeds on these matchups before we get into these week 13 matchups, because I definitely want to talk to you about some of these games this week and everyone wants to hear you kind of dissect these games. I did want to just kind of pick your brain and just like kind of just your general thoughts. Uh, and we kind of touched on just a second there with injuries but just your overall thoughts on just, you know, how this NFL season has gone. And you can take that in a fantasy direction, real NFL, kind of however you want to take it, but just uh, every season is different in the NFL. And, you know, how have you kind of taken this one in? I think it's just been another year that kind of serves as a testament to taking a flexible approach to your fantasy draft, because there are, there's just a lot of different ways to win in fantasy. So I did uh, five FFPC main event drafts this year. I think it's uh, $1,850 entry. We're in the playoffs in four of those five. And we took different approaches in all of them. We did zero RB in one, went uh, mixed and value-based drafting in uh, two others. We went anchor RB and then hammered pass catchers after that in two others. But you see teams winning in a variety of different ways. And one of the reasons that I love fantasy football is because it is a, a true meritocracy. If you bust your ass, you're, you're going to have an edge. If you bust your ass researching before the draft, but most importantly, if you bust your ass on the waiver wire, you can really gain an edge. But yeah, I mean, I think that this idea that there is, you know, one specific dominant strategy or whatnot, I mean, it's, it's not true. You adjust your draft strategy to your league scoring, your, your league rules. You stay flexible based on how the draft goes. Like you don't enter a draft all in on zero RB and then you pass on, you know, on Jonathan Taylor, if he makes it to you at the end of the first round or early in the second, you know, you don't pass on opportunities. Like if Devonte Adams makes it to you late in the first, and then Justin Jefferson gets to you early in the second. And then probably most importantly, if you do get like that Adams Jefferson pairing, you do not succumb to the temptation of drafting a genuinely bad third round pick like Josh Jacobs in the third, just because you feel like you need a running back. And I think a ton of people succumb to temptations like that. Like they feel like they are drafting a starting lineup as opposed to drafting a fantasy roster. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Yeah. One of those uh, main event teams is one that we're in and we kind of just played it by ear and we just didn't, we didn't have anyone like completely smash. I mean, Joe Mixon is smashing right now but we just didn't really brick any of the first four picks. Like we took Travis Kelsey, Joe Mixon, CD lamb and Deontay Johnson. Like none of those guys are absolutely winning things on their own, except for this recent run by like Mixon. But like, we just didn't get anything wrong. And in a year like this, just like not being wrong the first four rounds has given us such a, an anchor of our teams. We have no running back too. We haven't gotten it right all season. 
But the fact that we did hit on those four guys at the top has given us so much flexibility in terms of just having these Gibraltars in our lineup that are just there every week. And that's really helped us. But you touched on something that I think is literally the critical. I try to bring this up every year to people is, yeah, you never draft for need at any point in the draft, never, ever, ever, ever back into saying, I have to take a position because once you do that, your draft's going to go off the rails. And you're going to end up hating your team too when you get to the end. I and mean, you're like, oh, I didn't even want Josh Jacob. And it's like, well, yeah, don't take players you don't want. <laughs> Just because that's the biggest thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, this is a lot of people have talked about how this season in particular has, you know, with the injuries that have happened and then you know, no pandemic, this world of pandemic still going on, but there are people in the stadiums and, you know, scoring is way down. Do you have uh, I wanted to get your take on this because it's been such buzz, a uh, hot, hot button topic is, do you have uh, a take on how teams are playing defense now against like the, the pass heavy nature of the NFL? And has that been a true cultural shift or is that something that's been kind of overblown? Do you hear a lot of too high safety? Uh, that's yeah. been the buzz thing this year. Like what's your kind of opinion on that that's going on? Well, I can tell you from personal experience, betting totals uh, had a lot more because I, I like overs, <laughs> you know? Yep. So uh, I've been getting killed this year. I mean, I had a great year last year and been getting killed this year but yeah I mean the, the two high safeties no question um, I think that the the lean toward defenses willing to sell out to play pass coverage uh, at the expense of giving up some rushing production I mean that I think has been increasing every single year teams realizing that pass coverage is uh, to some because you can manufacture pass rush mm-hmm. with, by blitzing um, and teams, you know, going all in on their pass coverage. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think that, I don't know, it's been, uh, it's, we're, we're in a, a transitional time right now. And I, I think that there is a shortage of talent at the cornerback position uh, across the league, but teams have learned how to deal with that. You look at Arizona, they play really, can you, I mean, can anybody even name, I mean, they got Robert Alford and Marco Wilson at cornerback, but I mean, you know, people don't even know who those guys are and I don't blame them. Yeah, Robert Alford didn't even play uh, for two years. The, the Titans have gotten away with, well, they started to get uh, beat up a little bit recently, but they got away for, you know, a, quite an extended time dealing with, you know, Kevin Byard is really their only good corner or uh, uh, defensive back. I'm sorry. He's a safety, but, you know, teams ha- have learned to, kind of get by with that and uh you know do the do the shortage of of talent at cornerback and i don't know teams have just uh gotten good at adjusting to what they're given from the college ranks and um it's we're in a transitional period i think in terms of the way that teams play defense yeah, and it was probably bound to happen. I mean, it's always like a, a counterpunch, right? Like whatever becomes the new kind of meta, uh, you have to find a way to stop that. And that's kind of what we've seen some of these teams do, uh, you know, especially defensively, you know, teams that defend the Chiefs and the Bills, especially teams like the Bills who just inherently like don't want to run and can't run. You know, what else, how else are you going to defend them? Like it makes, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to kind of sell out and devote any resources to stopping the run until they show you that they're going to. Uh, and then this kind of happened with the Chiefs a little bit. They were trying to run with Daryl Williams. He's just not really an effective and explosive runner. I know a lot of people like to dunk on CEH because uh, he wasn't a egregious draft pick, but, you know, the, he is on the Kansas City Chiefs, and he does make their offense better when he plays as a runner. There's just no way around it. Um, you know, 
when we talk about it from like a yeah uh, an injury stance, you know, this week and talk about last week being so it started off with DeAndre Swift and we had Christian McCaffrey in the early slate. Uh, we had Dalvin Cook get hurt at four o'clock. We had Miles Sanders leave the game. It looks like he's going to be okay. Uh, Jamie McKissick on Monday night goes down. So we've got all these other injuries now impacting the running back position. We don't know if Daryl Henderson's going to play. You can even count Debo Samuel and his impact on the, what it has for Elijah Mitchell this week. So when we're looking at it, just diagnosing the injuries that happened and their immediate impact into this week, uh, who is like the guy, obviously it's Alexander Madison for a lot of people, but like, who is the guy that kind of stands out to you as getting kind of like overlooked as having some value this week um, in terms of that, like when you've written up your matchups? Well, it could be Javante Williams because Melvin Gordon is dealing with yep. hip and shoulder injuries. And we got a report today that he is 50-50 to play against Kansas City. I mean, there is one clear direct path for, I think, the Broncos to, you know, go after the Chiefs. And that's they're, – they're going to try to pound the ball uh, against Kansas City. And Javante Williams has been spectacular – uh, in a limited role. And I mean, every advanced metric, he's, you know, top five. I mean, he's breaking tackles. He's making guys miss. He's been good in the passing game. Uh, so if, if he gets that opportunity, I mean, I think they're going to fill him up with touches. Uh, now that's a Sunday night game. So that's not on the main slate in terms of DFS, but I mean, I think that he stands out. I think that James Connor also potentially stands out against Chicago uh, which may be without Raquan Smith or uh, Roquan Smith, who has been their best defender this year. And Akeem Hicks also has not practiced early in the week. And he's just a massive presence on the inside. You know, it's like you're pulling away two of your best uh, interior defenders against Arizona and Kyler's back. And, you know, it looks like DeAndre Hopkins will be back. They, they will spread you out. Um, and so I think that James Conner also might be a guy that's overlooked because it looks like Ch- uh, Chase Edmonds is going to miss at least one more game. Yeah, I, I've learned that over the years through working with you, uh, you know, in your depth of knowledge of, you know, defensive personnel and understanding, you know, the talent on the defensive side of the ball and how that can impact, you know, fantasy when players are removed and in and out of the lineup. And, you know, we saw that last week, you know, with Elijah Mitchell you know, with the just what happened to the Vikings defensive line over the course of the last couple of weeks and Dalvin Tomlinson going on COVID list and kind of how that can, you know, just accelerate kind of a, a ceiling outcome for a player. Um, and, you know, you talk about James Conner. I love that call too, especially in terms of DFS this week, because he's also getting to play his first game with Kyler Murray as the feature back. He's uh, every game that he's gotten to to play as this this uh, lead horse has been with Colt McCoy so if Kyler is kind of you know coming off of this injury after four weeks and kind of is the Kyler Murray that we had before yeah you know he suffered that ankle injury it could be a really good spot for James Conner because he's just kind of like a tweener price in DFS and like people probably want to either go down and play some of these cheapy guys um, or go up and pay some of these studs that are in good spots and people talk themselves out of situations like this because they'll be like Mm -hmm. oh well Kyler could run it in you know from the three and you know all that or you know throw a fade to Hopkins but what you want is and I've learned this from you uh, to, to a great extent is that you want your offense to live in scoring position against the opponent. And if, if Kyler's out there and DeAndre Hopkins out there and Roquan, uh, Roquan Smith and Akeem Hicks are not out there, you know, I, I think the Cardinals can sort of impose their will offensively to an extent. And just, there's going to be more scoring chances 
for the RB that is really threatened by no one. I mean, Eno Benjamin, you know, I think he'll get a small handful of touches. But I, James Conner has looked excellent, by the way, this mm-hmm. season. He played hurt last year in Pittsburgh. I kind of wrote him off entering the season. That was a – I blew that call. You know, even – he, I mean, he got – his contract was, I think, a one-year – 1.75 million. I mean, they really, and it was like a minimum salary. So they, they really didn't, you know, he, he didn't have a big market, but man, he has looked excellent. I mean, he's just, he's a solid, you know, uh, a little bit above replacement level RB that can play in the passing game, execute in short yarded situations, and certainly take advantage of the big holes that are created by the way that the, the Cardinals play offense. Yeah. I love that call. Uh, one, of, one of the guys that's stepping into a larger role this weekend, it looks like today DeAndre Swift won't play, is Jamal Williams. Uh, wh- what do you think about Jamal Williams' setup this week? And do you think we'll see like a little bit of Jamar Jefferson and Godwin Ingubuque? Or do you think like, you know, on Thanksgiving, it was just him. It was just Jamal Williams. Those other guys got, they combined for one touch. Uh, do you think that it's, it's a spot for Jamal Williams to be a locked in RB2 this week? Or do you think there's some fragility there? He's probably a locked-in RB2 uh, just from a ranking standpoint. But, I, I mean, I never get excited about Jamal Williams. So. <laughs> He's always been kind of good when he plays, you know. For, yeah. that, that was when on the Packers. He was also on the Packers. On those right. <laughs> right. I mean, what's the Lions scoring projection? I mean. Yeah, they're know, 19, 19 and a half points. Uh, pretty ooh, generous, actually. Let's, let's hit that under. <laughs> pretty pretty generous for the for the Lions. Um, the last running back too, I want to talk to you about the guy that shuffled up this week, obviously, and has been surging since the bye week is Antonio Gibson. We don't know if McKissick's going to play uh, yet on Thursday when we're recording this, um, but he's in concussion protocol. Um, my biggest thing with Antonio Gibson is literally the most obvious one, and it's just that Washington hasn't been trailing games. Uh, you know, they they actually trailed prior to the bye for more snaps than the Jets more snaps than the Lions, any team in the NFL, any bad team you think of, Washington actually had the, the highest rate of uh, snaps played from behind before their bye week. And they haven't trailed for one snap offensive play in the second half since their bye week and just 51 plays in total. And that, I believe, has been the biggest cultural shift for Antonio Gibson. But now, if it, okay, J.D. McKissick's going to be out, you remove also the element of he could get game scripted out. So, I mean, is this like the finally, like the, the reckoning for Antonio Gibson? Like we've had this, we, we've got through that terrible stretch of the opening part of the season. And is it now RB1 Antonio Gibson time? I think so. I know that uh, at ETR, we uh, removed JD McKissick from our projection. So we just zeroed him out. We're expecting him not to play against the Raiders. Uh, Antonio Gibson had seven catches last week. Was it 34 touches? We know that he has always had that in his bag. I mean, he was a receiver essentially at Memphis. And, you know, I mean, just the the Washington football teams like love for J.D. McKissick has prevented Antonio Gibson from realizing that ceiling. But I, I, I think there's every reason to believe that, yeah, Antonio Gibson would probably operate as a true every down back against the Raiders if no J.D. McKissick. And it's looking like there's no J.D. McKissick. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the runway for him. And then, you know, obviously mm-hmm. from DFS, I mean, he was played on Monday night, so his price was already locked in. So everyone's going to probably, I think, gravitate to that, especially if McKissick is out, uh, because there's no game script to worry about. That's the biggest thing. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, we'll move on here. Oh, one of the things I want to talk to you about the course of the season is, you know, the, obviously you talked about like the, the parity of the league and as there are no good team uh, in the NFL this season. One of the things that I've always liked uh, that you do is you always take like these, these MVP bets and you're kind of wired in on like the MVP award, but one without us not having not even one good team this year, or, like a truly elite dominant teams, we haven't had a truly dominant player yet either. Uh, you know, I know this isn't a fantasy take, but like, where are you at on like the MVP award right now? Like who's, who's the Evan Silva front runner and like, who's still alive in the race? I was just looking at it yesterday. Uh, I think that uh, I knew coach, of, <laughs> coach of the year also is a, is a really tough one. It changes every week. You know, one week it's uh, Brandon Staley, then it's uh, Sean Payton, and now it's like Bill Belichick. Like, yep. nothing can stop him. You know, um, it, Matt Rule early in the year. You know, it's like it, it changes every single week. So I don't know. I have like way too many Coach of the Year bets out, way too many MVP bets out. I think that if you're just looking from an odd standpoint, I don't know. It changes all the time. But Kyler Murray, the last time I looked at twelve to one. Um, I think was looking pretty good, but it's, uh, it is, it, it's, it's not easy. I mean, there, you know, we're at what we we're enter this is week 13. And I mean, there's no, is there a clear cut leader? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, Matthew think- Stafford was looking real good for a while, but I mean, he's fallen off a cliff. Dak maybe. Yeah. I think default, I think people are just going to go to Brady. Cause I'll just say passing touchdown yeah. leader. But I mean, I, like, like you kind of hit it. I think it's wide open still. So if like Mahomes were to get hot or Kyler just coming back and building on, you know, his, what he did the front half of the season. Cause I mean, he was so good and he's still like, if you look at like all the underlying metrics, like EPA per play and stuff like that, like he still is first, but you know, did it help him that he just hasn't had to play three games because everyone else is out to hit like a little wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause even Brady, well, I mean, he's, he's really taking his game to the next level as a passer. Mm-hmm. I know we have, we haven't seen him in, in a while, so, you know, it, it doesn't resonate with us in terms of recency, but you know, he really took his game to the next level as a pass. He wasn't that great of a passer last year. I mean, he was all hitch routes to Deandre Hopkins and, but man, he, he's, and, and it, a lot of running from him. He, he's scaled back. I mean, he's, he's still been mm-hmm. running, but he's really scaled back his production as a runner and taken that step as a passer this year. Yeah, I, I think when you talked about coach of the year, like we're still, you know, even didn't even mention him, but like how how is like Cliff not even up there? Like, uh, you know, especially winning two or three games without Kyler. Like you said, their offense in 2020 was literally to go three receivers by one wide receiver. I saw DeAndre Hopkins. If he was one-on-one, they ran either a slant or a hitch route to him. And if he was double covered, they go a different direction. Like that was their that was entire passing offense of 2020. And now you see them get everybody. They're getting Antoine Wesley involved. Zach Ertz is, you know, dusted off. AJ Green's dusted off. Christian Kirk's contributing after everybody left him for dead. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals definitely are a team that I feel like in the no good team argument too. It's like, well, there's this one. What about this one over here? just kind of forgetting about them. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough for MVP though. I, I actually think there was like a case and you'd have to keep it up the rest of the way, but I actually do think as, as much of a joke, this will come off as is Jonathan Taylor. Like, cause in terms of like EPA per rush, he's as good per run as a lot of quarterbacks passing. And he would have to keep this pace up the whole rest of the season. But if, if Derrick Henry would have kept up his pace and not gotten hurt, he would have for sure been in that conversation as much of a joke as it is to say a running back can't win the award, like why not a running back in this season of all seasons? Well, I think that the environment 
for him is just so, I mean, it's so conducive to running success. I mean, the offensive line is just, they, they kick ass in Indianapolis and the running scheme is really strong. Um, I think he's the perfect OPOI offensive player of the year, but um, you know, I think there, there are a lot of running backs that could you know give you 85% of what Jonathan Taylor has given the Colts. And that that's kind of like a, a you know, a, a flag against them. Yeah. I, I tried to sneak there. Debo would have been uh offensive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. man. Oh my goodness. What a year he's having. Yeah. Uh, did you watch hard knocks at all? The in-season Colts version? I have not. No. Uh, was... Levitan told me it's awesome though. Yeah, I've always been a, a, a hard knocks detractor. It's never been anything I liked. I felt like they never covered the stuff I wanted them to cover. And it's like not a lot was tangible from the preseason coverage. But this in-season version has changed my mind. Well, you brought up the Colts. Then that last game, there's a there was a segment in the hard knocks where Quentin Nelson walks up in the third quarter to Frank Reich and just tells him that they have to start running the football. And they go on that, that's when they go on that drive where they go and tie the game 31 all with Jonathan Taylor gets hot and scores a touchdown. But it was really cool to see awesome. like Qu- Quentin Nelson just literally went up to him and was like, Hey coach, we got a hungry running back. It's time to start running the ball. Uh, and it was really cool. Well, to see Quentin that. Nelson also playing like with a ton of like foot and ankle injuries. I mean, he probably has a, a real problem, you know, dropping back in his set. Like he wants to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they've had so much success with, with, with the offensive line moving forward. I mean, they, they're like a legit you remember like man to start the season it seemed like their season was over even before it started with the Carson Wentz injury Quentin Nelson I mean it was looking rough early on but man they have really turned it around I mean they're they're like a top 10 team at this point I mean yeah I agree I mean you look at their six and six right now and they literally could have won nine games in a row I mean their losses they lost an overtime to Baltimore in a game they were winning by 22 points they lost that overtime game against Tennessee where Wentz throws the goofy interception. Uh, and then they lose last week in a game where they took, they were up on the bucks, you know, they, they had that game at halftime and then just kind of squandered it away in the second half, but the rest of the season schedule layout, that's, you know, they, they got the Texans, they still had the Raiders, the Jaguars, and then you got the Patriots and Cardinals matchups mixed in, but I'm with you that the, them and the 49ers are surging at the right time. But when you have both those teams, it's always going to come down to a Carson Wentz throw or a Jimmy Garoppolo throw. <laughs> and that's kind of like the one thing that always prevents me from like fully believing in both of those teams. And, uh, you know, speaking of quarterback plays, two quarterbacks just made their 16th career start last weekend. And I guess we have to kind of change this now because it's 17 game seasons, but it used to be like, all right, the first full season play it as a starting quarterback. Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavoa made their their 16 starts last week. And I kind of want to get your opinion on kind of where you think their career trajectory is, kind of what do you believe the organization – because the organizations believe in these guys. Both kind of organizations have been thumbing around Deshaun Watson. And from a fantasy stance, like where do you see, like even from like a dining stance, where do you see like kind of uh, the career arc for both of these quarterbacks? Yeah, really interesting players. Um to start with Tua, I mean, I think that you have to understand, like, the context of the situation in which he's been playing. Uh, Brandon Thorne, who I think is, you know, the best offensive line analyst. And just the best, like, offensive and defensive line analyst in, in media. I mean, he and, and he does our offensive line rankings. He's had the Dolphins ranked as the worst offensive line since week one. Um, so you're dealing with that. But Tua has been getting the ball out quickly. And, you know, getting the ball to 
Jalen Waddle, who I think has improved over the course of the season, he, he did not have that extra gear early in the year that he showed this past week in particular. A lot of Mike Jasicki, a lot of outside Mac Hollins, Preston Williams, who hasn't been the same guy, Albert Wilson, you know, Devontae Parker and Will Fuller have not been there. And so he has been playing with a deck stacked against him in terms of the offensive line and the weapons outside. But I think he's largely made do. He's not, you know, a dynamic runner. Um, I think he's a good athlete, but he's not a dynamic runner. And I think ultimately what he has, he has to be like a version of Drew Brees where he's just like a extreme efficiency technician. I think he's at times shown signs of that. I think that the narrative surrounding him is just totally unfair uh, for Tua that he has, I think he's, I think he largely has gotten progressively better, um, you know, since he, since they threw him into the fire uh, last year, strangely, their, their, their treatment of him, their, you know, the way that they've handled the situation has been very strange, you know, in, in addition to the Deshaun Watson stuff, which is, I think it's clearly coming from ownership. And that's why anytime that Brian Flores gets asked about the Deshaun Watson, he's just like, it pisses him off, you know, because he doesn't have his hand in that. He's, he's dealing with the players that he has. Jalen Hurts, you know, obviously I think that, and I've watched a lot of Jalen Hurts, even going back to Alabama. I remember watching him just uh, because I was watching OJ Howard and, I mean, he was, he was not a passer at that point. You know, they would manufacture touches to – they would, like, throw pitches to O.J. Howard in the backfield and try to, like, get him going because they didn't trust Jalen Hurts as a passer. Uh, you know, and then he went to the, um, you know, the, the ultimate system uh, at Oklahoma. I think he's prog- – I think he has also shown clear progressive development in a positive fashion, but he's still – you know, he's still in a very developmental uh, stage. I think that you can also look at what is ha- like Jalen Rager stinks. I, he, I think he's a bust. And Quez Watkins, although he runs really, really fast, you know, he, he doesn't really do a whole lot. So, um, you know, I think that they need to, if they're, I don't know, the organizational thing, because they have three first round picks next year, right? In, in 2022, the Eagles have three first round picks but it's supposedly a terrible quarterback class, which I think is spot on from what I've seen of the college football scene this year. I don't know. It's, it's, I think both guys are in strange situations, but it sounds like, you know, neither of these teams is going to be able to solve their, their, the quarterback mystery unless one of them gets Deshaun Watson. I mean, and who's to say even Deshaun Watson is going to play. I mean, we saw it now. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually think that the Dolphins situation from an organizational stance is very intriguing to me because I think there's a clear disconnect in the job that the coaching staff the Dolphins is doing versus the organization. I think the Dolphins organization and their front office has really done a terrible job the past couple of years. I think they're, they've really squandered a lot of their draft equity that they've built up uh, in this rebuild uh, through player selection and, and trades. And then I think that the coaching staff has actually done a tremendous job with what they've had to work with, especially throughout the injuries they've had. Obviously, defensively, uh, they've started to right the ship over the course of the season as guys have gotten healthier. But offensively, working around this offensive line, the injury to Will Fuller, the injury to Devontae Parker, not having any functional way to run the football at all 
And they've really swerved into adjusting. Look at how much RPO and play action they're running right now. I mean, Tua is by far ahead of the league lead in play action and usage and RPO passing right now because it's the only way they can move the football. And uh, this coaching staff, I think, has done a really underrated job this season. They're not going to get any accolades because of their record. Uh, but I think that the disconnect of the job that they've done versus the front office, um, I feel like that if they were married, this could be something that they'd really have cooking. But I still think the organization kind of set them back a little bit through player selection and some of these moves. And it sounds like they're trying to do it again, right? Like with the, with the Watson stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very troubling. The Eagle situation, it's been really tough to get a grasp on. Cause I just don't know. Nick Sirianni has been kind of really flippant throughout the entire process of him taking the job of wanting to install stuff for Jalen Hurts. But now that he has installed stuff for Jalen Hurts, they started to do really well until this disaster last weekend. Uh, especially in the run game. They really got their run game going, not from traditional running, but through the RPO game. Uh, over the past five weeks, they have 45 more rushing attempts at RPO than any other team in the NFL. And uh, even their running backs. And it's just been such a catalyst in turn, terms of turning their season around and except for this game that they should have absolutely not lost uh, in any circumstance because they wanted to make the postseason, but they did. And Jalen Hurts was, just didn't play well enough. Um, but yeah, Nick Sirianni seems like he's just never, I don't know. He just, he struck me as like, and I could be reading the situation wrong, but he just never fully believed in the, in, in, in having hurts. And this is, has been kind of a, and I'm not, this is an audition year for, for, for him. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens and shakes out for Jalen hurts this off season. Cause um, yeah, it, it feels like the organization isn't fully supporting him, but we'll see what happens. I want to, I want to at least jump in and get in some of these week 13 takes and uh, pick some of these games apart with you from matchup style, because you obviously are a reason why I do what I do, you know, in, in the column that I write, you know, reading matchups uh, for all the years when it was up at Roto World. Um, so let's dive into some of these. I think one of the big fulcrum point games at that early slate is Bengals and Chargers. Everyone's going to be dialed in on this one, uh, especially because it's got one of the highest tolls on the slate. It looks like there might be some weather stuff. So stay glued to that, you know, throughout the weekend, follow Chris Allen. Uh, at four for four for that stuff. He's one of the best weather guys. But uh, let's dive into this matchup here. I mean, what is going on with Justin Herbert, man? What what, what do we believe? It's Jekyll or Hyde. What do you, what what are we believing yeah. this weekend with him? Well, I think there there are a, a number of issues. Uh, the first one is that you know they lost Ode Abushi and Brian Bulaga. They're they're essentially the entire uh, right side of their offensive line. I think that Joe Lombardi, their OC, has become a little gun shy ever since. I mean. You have one of the biggest arm, best athlete quarterbacks in the league. And I mean, I think they're, they, you know, they've been pretty conservative uh, in terms of their play calling. You also don't have a ton of speed uh, with the Chargers. I mean, you have Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer, uh, but those guys are, you know, they're clear out guys. They don't really, they don't, you know, they don't command targets. You have Mike Williams who can make plays downfield theoretically, but I mean, generally in, you know, 50-50 situations. Keenan Allen is a slot receiver. Um, so I think that there is, you know, a combination of factors that is going on with the Chargers that have been, that has been limiting them recently. Um, you know, Joe, on the other side, Joe Mixon has, you know, a, a spectacular matchup, of course, against the Chargers who are not only bad in run defense, but are willing to concede a lot of rushing production. Um but I don't know, what are your initial takes on this one? I mean, the Chargers are the tough team for me to grasp, uh, you know, every week in terms of what we're going to get out of them. 
because of that, uh, you know, the, the offensive scheme of really not being able to kind of push the ball downfield anymore, but then they still have these blow up spots like two weeks ago against the Steelers. Right. And it's just like, well, any week they can go for 40 or they can go for 14. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's completely kind of, you know, from a, from someone that's writing these games up, it's just like, well, what do we really have here? Cause the Bengals are a team defensively, like they're not going to really rush a lot. They can get home with four, uh, you know, Trey Hendrickson's been good. Uh, you know, they add BJ Hill, uh, in that trade with the Giants in the in season. So, like, they've, 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 they can get home with their defensive line, and then the outside guys have played well. So it seems like they're this is a matchup that would be funnel Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, right? Uh, you look at, like, where the Bengals give up production, and that would just kind of swerve into what we've had, so another low A-dot game. So do they just get out and score first and kind of strike first? It's a bummer that Mike Williams has been kind of archetyped back into being the only vertical target that they have. Uh, because we got such a taste of it early in the season of him being like a fully rounded wide receiver. And because they don't have any speed guys, he's forced to run routes downfield now. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer on the other side. What, a, what are you, uh, what's your take on uh, what's happened to Jamar chase here the past month uh, and the kind of his decline in terms well, of, I think that uh, Mike Tomlin actually pointed it out that, I mean, defensive started to like, you know, take away Jamar chase to some extent. So he needed another guy to step up, which T Higgins did in this past game. I mean, he caught the big touchdown uh, and then, you know, the rest of the game, like, you know, the, the DBs were like giving him, giving him like free access uh, underneath. Uh, but I think that that's what he needed. You know, Tyler Boyd isn't going to really do that. CJ Ozone only gets two, three targets each week. And so I think they needed another guy in the passing game to step up. T Higgins just hadn't been delivering like forever. I mean, like, you know, eight weeks or whatever, like of him, you know, us talking about, hey, will this be the week, you know, that he does something. He finally does something. I think that that, you know, things tend to come full circle um, for guys. I, I think it's also fair to wonder because Jamar Chase well, didn't play football last year, right? So, you know, could he be hitting something of, of a rookie wall? I don't know. That's, that's a, you know, that's narrative type stuff. But um, I think that's fair to wonder about. I mean, it's been four or five weeks now that, that Jamar Chase has been pretty quiet, but I, I think that uh, T. Higgins stepping up can definitely help him. Joe Mixon stepping up uh, can definitely help him as well. You know, I mean, he can make big, big plays downfield. He's got like a big, like 14-yard A dot, I, I believe. Uh, so it, it's going to happen at some point. Yeah, and flip around. Another team that started out hot, and uh, I know you were on this, and then they've, been, they've looked really rough the last three games that we've seen. Uh, them play is the Ravens and their offense. I mean, they have three touchdowns in their last three games. Um, do you see like this weekend? Cause the Steelers are so banged up defensively. I mean, is this a spot where the Ravens can actually kind of get right, even though the game looks ugly on the surface, yeah. like a game total, but is this a spot where the Ravens actually could maybe have a little more success throwing than we kind of have seen them in the past couple of weeks? I think so. I mean, because, you know, this has really been the first time, and I know that uh, last week, I guess, was really the first time that the Ravens had all their weapons together. Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, you know, uh, it's it Devontae Freeman has taken over as the lead back. He's, you know, more of like a pass catcher, pass catching running back. Uh, Sammy Watkins, you know, th that really last week was the first week that they had all those dudes uh, healthy and Lamar just played like crap. I mean, thrown into crowds to Mark Andrews, you know, pass after pass. But um, 
I think that against Pittsburgh, which has given up uh, over 31 points per game uh, on average over its last four, I'm I'm optimistic about Lamar. I mean, uh, I think that Joe Hayden is probably not going to play again. Uh, I think that, you know, Devin Bush inside has been like a bust for Pittsburgh. Um, Up front, you know, they've been missing uh, Tyson Alualu and uh, Steph Tewitt, Mm -hmm. you know, for a long time now. You you can run on them. Um, And I think you can move the ball through the air. I think that it's a, a perfect bounce back spot for Lamar. Lamar also like had been sick for multiple weeks in a row. That may have affected him to some extent. I think that, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic on Lamar this week. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, uh, TJ Watt might not play in that game too, uh, placed on the COVID list. The last time TJ Watt didn't play, the Steelers got three pressures on the quarterback. So, uh, yeah, removing that, uh, like you said, this isn't the Steelers defense, like the stigma of the Steelers defense, right? The, the way they exactly. played. I mean, I can't even, t- I'd have to look it up. Uh, the last time they gave up over 40 points in back-to-back games, uh, like they have the last two weeks. Um, it's a bummer of Big Ben to kind of dragging it down on all fronts. Uh, but yeah, I've been looking at Hollywood this week and wondering if we're going to see him get the, the deep ball dialed up again uh, for, for some deep shots because it hasn't been going the last couple weeks. But Hollywood in general, I think a lot of people have already surpassed Bateman over Hollywood, the dynasty community has. But Hollywood has 10 targets or more in his last four games. Uh, are you someone that's like like pump the brakes here, like on Rashad Bateman or a big picture? Or do you think Bateman eventually, like when we come into the 2022 season, is going to be the, the alpha there? I think that's a tough – I think that's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, both guys, first-round guys, rookie contracts. Yeah. It's still there. It's, it's I mean, the way that me. Marquise Brown has elevated his game this year, you know, outside of the game where he dropped, like, what, three touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he's a really impressive player. I think on the other side in this game, Chase Claypool mm. is really interesting because the Ravens have not been great at defending – uh, deep balls. Actually, they've given up the most 20-plus yard completions in the NFL, 51 of them. And, you know, the, the Steelers don't throw deep like Big Ben used to. But, I mean, if it's going to happen, this it's, it's going to happen to Chase Claypool. It's going to happen, you know, against a, a defense that has struggled to defend the deep ball. And Claypool, since Juju went out, I mean, he's playing like almost every snap in their offense. And he hasn't really had that big game. He's had a couple of good games, you know, five for 93, mm-hmm. that sort of range. But, man, I mean, you know, the, the upside on Chase Claypool is, is very, very clear, I think. And this is the kind of matchup. And I, I don't think that anybody's going to be really on him in, in, uh, in DFS this week. I, I brought him up on Hulk's show when we were talking about this game. I like it, too, for the oh, same no. reason. I mean, the uh, Ravens. You know, they just have these breakdowns, right? Like the defense, because they're a team, obviously, we've talked about how many injuries they've had in the offensive line and how many guys they've had put on IR and guys they've lost defensively. But they just, they'll they'll play great defense for like, and they put a whole game against the Browns together uh, last Sunday night, but they'll just have these like four to five plays per game where they just have a complete breakdown and give up like a huge play. Like the Bears game, they were completely dominant, right? And then they just, they have a miscommunication. Marquise Goodwin goes in for a 50-yard touchdown, and all of a sudden you have to have Tyler Huntley get a game-winning drive. And, like, yeah, if anyone's going to have one of those plays, it feels like it would be Claypool. And we've started to see the Steelers' offensive line, what we kind of thought it would be coming into the season. It's started to be, like, a little bit of a problem the past few weeks. Like, they can't run the football at all right now. 
um, even a little bit. Najee was getting there in volume for a little bit. And like two weeks ago, he got there just because he, he, he snaked a one-yard touchdown. But then last week had no chance just in that game. So, I mean, against the Ravens, they saw it to stop the run too because none of their linebackers can cover anybody. Like they built that team for those linebackers too to, for run fits and to, and to blitz the quarterback. And they just really haven't altered their approach because that's what they wanted those guys to do. Uh, so I'm curious to see how if Najee even fully bounces back this week as well because they're gonna. It's a little bit of a, a pass funnel, but he'll probably catch 18 dump offs and stick it, stick it to me. So what are you? Well, and they, you know, the Ravens have had a lot of moving parts in their in their secondary in their back seven really, mm-hmm. uh, but they also blitz a lot. So you know when you're when you're sending dudes, I mean you're pulling guys out of coverage, and you know you are exposing yourself to having fewer guys in coverage. And that can lead to breakdowns as well. So, I don't know. Chase Claypool week. Let's go. Yeah, let's try to make it happen. Uh, especially, you know, he, he's been one of these guys, like, once Juju got hurt, I was, like, ready for the ascension. It looked like we were going to get it. And that first game, they played him in the slot a lot, and then he just kind of hasn't gotten back to that. But uh, they always manufacture, like, a rushing touch net for him or something. So, like, maybe we'll get it. Um, trying to what are these hot games uh, looking like here? I want to get your take at least on Monday night game. I don't know. It's not like a super fantasy game, but uh, kind of how you kind of believe that, well, one, how do you believe the Patriots are going to approach defending the bills? Because they are typically a man coverage team. And we've seen, uh, you know, the bills that, that kind of helps them. If you're going to play man coverage, because they're just going to spam target after target to Stephon Diggs and JC Jackson got kind of body bagged by Stefan Diggs last year. A totally different defense, though, because the Patriots had so many guys out. But then on the other side, too, you know, Mac Jones is a, is a quarterback that hasn't faced a lot of, like, good defenses so far this season either. So, like, is this, like, a game that is, like, who just ever strikes first, like, has the advantage? Or do you think so? A team, someone has, like, a clear advantage in this Patriots-Bills matchup? Well, unfortunately, this is one of the games that I have not written up gotcha. yet because it's, you know, Monday night. <laughs> yeah. So I have not put a lot of time into looking at this game yet. Uh, I know that Kyle Duggar, the Patriots, I think their base defense is uh, is big nickel with three safeties. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Duggar is, uh, well, he just went on the COVID list. I don't know if he's necessarily out, but these guys that go on the COVID list during the week, they tend not to play, uh, you know, that week. So I, I think that's a big loss. Um, the Bills are, I think, getting healthier. Uh, Cody Ford has been like a swinging gate at, at, uh, at, uh, on the right side of their offensive line. Yeah. They should be getting back Spencer Brown from the COVID list. Uh, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, star should be back. Um, I don't know. That's kind of, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I can't, I can't hang with you right now on, on breaking down this game. Cause I haven't, I haven't, uh, dove into it. I love Ramondre Stevenson though. I mean, what a fucking badass this dude is. Did you see his run last week where he, had, like, he broke like yep. nine tackles? Yeah, he's had at least a, at least one play per game that he yeah. played that is just like completely bonkers. Uh, yeah. Definitely a violent dude. Even the one against the Falcons got called back. I mean, what a run that yeah. was. And I know yeah. I, I've, I've tweeted positively about him and then people be like, well, you can't even start him. Well, I know that. I mean, we're not allowed to like – I mean, we, we can't like talk about guys. That, you know, I mean <laughs> – Everything's so myopic in our little yeah. fantasy world. Yeah, any anytime you tweet something about real football, comes back to it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, let me see. Should I think we could circle back to some hot news here? Uh, what about the, the Alexander Madison situation? Do you, obviously, it's a good setup for him, but uh, is this a spot where the, do you think there's any truth to the rumors that a couple beats have said that they they could just throw more? 
I, I no, I, I mean, no, you just give the ball to Alexander Madison. He's, he's, he's been great, you know, in these, uh, and I, I loved your tweet earlier in the week where you were like, anytime that Alexander Madison gets, a, you know, an opportunity to start, it's always against the Lions, always. Yep. So, I, I mean, I think he's going to smash. It'll just be interesting. I guess it'll come down to a percent owned situation in terms of how hot or cold people are on him. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you just you just plug him in and try to different, differentiate elsewhere, probably. Yeah, we've got all these uh, one-sided matchups this week. You know, Bucks, Falcons, Rams, Jaguars, Colts, Houston, even Eagles, Jets. Like, kind of, we don't have a lot of like great back and forth uh, dynamic games. I think we covered most of them. But uh, let me get your opinion on the on the Rams here and kind of the wide yeah. receiving core uh, shaking out the rest of the season because. Just since Johnny Munt's been hurt, they're a full-time 11 personnel team. Do you think it's going to be something that just oscillates week to week, or do you have a firm stance on, like, Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson uh, the rest of the season? I mean, I think that, you know, Cooper Cup is – I mean, he gets double-digit targets every single week, so he's locked in. I mean, the chemistry that we kind of heard about in training camp was, you know, it's so real. And so that's just – that's locked in. Um, we saw, we saw both Odell and Van Jefferson make big plays downfield last week. I, I think that Van Jefferson is the number two. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm just sort of waiting for it to play. I think that Van Jefferson is the number two. I, when Van Jefferson was coming out of college, I thought that he was more of like a Robert Woods style of, of player. Um, and then, you know, Odell can be the, like the deep threat. I don't, but maybe I'm too stuck on that. My, on my priors with Van Jefferson, I mean, he's made big plays downfield. I don't, what, what, what are your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, it's tough. He, he definitely, they're using him in a capacity that I didn't think they would because mm-hmm. well, especially when they signed Deshaun Jackson, I thought Deshaun Jackson mm-hmm. would be a package player and like be a lid lifter. And he's been their lid lifter from the beginning of the season, Van Jefferson. So I don't really see that like, his role really changing, right? It's like they're trying to figure out where Odell fits in in like this hybrid role. Because I mean, people like people dunk on Odell because he hasn't really hit for fantasy in the last couple of years. But Odell also he he's like aggressive. Like he'll block, he'll play in the run game. Like Robert, not as good as Robert Woods, but he, he'll get he'll, he can he can get in there and get in the run game too. So it's just trying to figure out like where Odell fits in. I mean, it's tough to grasp because they both got there off those one plays last week. But then you see the overall targets and you're like, yeah, they're just going to like, this is, this is an 11 personnel team. And these guys are going to be on the field every single play and an offense we want attachment to, but is it just going to be frustrating? I had a, a, a start sick question that was Odell or Van Jefferson earlier. And I was like, good luck with this the rest of the season. You know, that's why I wanted to bring it up to you to see if you had something to help me out. <laughs> I lean you know, toward to- Van. I mean, I know that Odell had a good game last week because of the big play. But he just has not had very many good games for the last several years. And so I think I lean toward Van Jefferson there. Uh, and, and the opposite side of that, what's been your take on the, uh, the on-field uh, performance that you've gotten from like Herb in this Jaguar situation? Because I don't think they've given really us any clarity this season, like a, what to feel like going forward. I mean, like Juan Treadwell is a significant contributor in this offense right. now. An um, every down player. I mean, what, what's kind of your opinion on this Jaguar season right now? What do they do moving forward? Hope that, uh, well, I was going to say, hope that Urban Meyer goes to Notre Dame, but uh, Notre Dame just locked up uh, Marcus Freeman as, as their head coach, which I think was an awesome hire. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a really bad situation. It's been a bad situation for the Jaguars just forever. And I, I don't see any, you know, there have been times for optimism, but they never panned out, you know, over the course of the last decade. And I mean, I don't, do you see any reason for optimism? I mean, Trevor Lawrence was a great talent. He's, and I think he's been, he's been okay uh, relative to rookie expectation. I mean, again, they're running out. Marvin Jones is their one. Laquan Treadwell is their two. They, you know, can't for the last, I mean, they're pulling guys, Jamal Agnew, who's like a cornerback and a return specialist trying to turn him into something so that, you know, uh, Urban Meyer can, you know, beef up his ego. Uh, I, it's, it's a disaster. I, it, it's been, it, I didn't think it would be this bad. I, I really didn't think it would be this bad, but it's that bad. I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. I thought it could only go two ways, either really be, be kind of fun or just be a dumpster fire. And we're kind of getting the latter. Yes. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, one, one last game I'll touch on and let you get out of here uh, is you kind of, we kind of talked about Debo a little bit. We haven't talked about Seattle um, if, if, if I'm in the playoff contention here and I'm kind of hanging on or I'm good and, and I've gotten this far and I'm good, what are we doing with DK Metcalf? Just, just hoping, hanging on and praying. Well, I'm in this exact situation in, uh, one of my FFPC main event teams where we advanced the playoffs and we, we, we actually have Lockett and Metcalf and we don't have Russ. So, I mean, we just start locking that cash every week. I mean, you know, I'm like, Lockett's been, you know, kind of getting there. He's averaging 94 yeah. yards per game over his last four. And I don't know how, well, he's just so good. I mean, he's just so freaking good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, against San Francisco this week, I just, yeah, I think, you know, DK Metcalf is our four. Well, I, we had Debo Samuel. We're not going to be able to use him. So we're definitely starting DK Metcalf. And we're, yeah, we're just hoping for a big play. Yeah, I mean, hope, hope. It's, it's awful. I mean, they can't run the ball to, you know, get, well, they, you know, they, they like the fact that they haven't had like a middle of the field presence. I mean, Freddie Swain has been their slot receiver. I mean, it, and Gerald Everett actually started to benefit from this. He's averaging seven targets over his last three. He's had some decent fantasy games, but not really, you know, he's not really dynamic. He hasn't been dynamic. And they've got Lockett and Metcalf on the outside. And Russ has like, just been so inconsistent in terms of his ball placement downfield. And defenses are keyed in on, on Metcalf. Uh, it's, you know, and then they run so few, I mean, so few plays. I mean, it's just. Do you remember when Shane Waldron was going to uh, up their, uh, their offensive play volume? My goodness. It's been just darkness. Though they haven't even run fifty plays the last two games, and either oh. like, either last two games, and they can't stay on the field. Can't um, stay on the field. Their defense isn't very good. They can't. You know, this is kind of where running the ball would would be nice if they could have even any hint of efficiency in terms of being able to run the ball just to like sustain drives and stay on the field. But they can't even do that. No, and on the and, other and, side, and, Ru- and Russ, like either, yeah. like either he has lost athleticism or he's just lost his will to scramble because that's no longer really part of his game. That's no longer a big part of his game. No, I mean, he's a little older. You start to see that kind of all those guys start to lose a little bit of mobility, but I mean, it's, it's not even pressing the defense and for him to lose mobility and not, and only want to take chunk plays 
is really hurt them. Like he doesn't want to take anything for free. It feels like uh, even in that game on Monday night, there's, there are layups. Like there, there are short targets for him to make. And it just feels like they're not, they're just always, he's, he's, his mindset is to always just push. And and then it was great in his early career because he could take off and run or take the deep shot. And it just feels like now they're bypassing so many free yards on plays. I feel like he actually is part of the problem. I don't want to completely throw him. No, I think he definitely is. But yeah, to be interesting to see, because everyone wants to see where he's going to go to next. But what if it's a problem that he still has? Like, what if it's, what if it never was a, a let Russ cook thing? He was always kind of the, the prevention. What if it does come out to be like that? It would be interesting to see. But like I said, we thought Dwayne Eskridge, them drafting him, he could might have been able to step up or them adding Everett. Nothing's materialized underneath. Uh, no underneath targets. The, the passing game uh, from the backfield, from a from running back perspective, is non is not effective. None of those guys are good. Uh, so it's been it's really tough day to grasp. And you see it in Pete after every game, right? Like Pete looks like he's he's been through it this year. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, he looks uh, exasperated. Yeah, just it's a struggle, man. It's a struggle for Pete. But I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you get out of here unless you got any like uh, you know pressing thoughts uh, that you want to push push forward on this slate. Um, do you have a Saquon take? Is Saquon going to do anything the rest of the season? Uh, you, you have any easy questions, Reeves? <laughs> well, the people want you for the real questions. So save them. I know. I mean, I think that. <laughs> You know, it's it's an offensive environment problem. Um, I think that when I watch him play, Saquon Barkley, like he looks explosive laterally, but he does not look uh, as explosive vertically. Like when he, I don't think he can get up the field quite as explosively as he could uh, in the past. I mean, we knew about the offensive line problem. We knew about, I mean, Saquon Barkley since Penn State has been a boom bust runner. So when he can't put his foot in the ground and get vertical and bust a 70 yard run, you know, and he has all these negative runs and and stuffs and, and, you know, the offensive line makes it worse. Like it's just, it's not a good situation. The usage last week, I think was promising. Freddie kitchens is now the play caller. He needs something to sort of like hang his hat on and maybe that could be, you know, get Saquon Barkley going. But um, those are just the observations that I have. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I was someone that held optimism on him and then feeling feeling the sting of that in, in multiple leagues. Uh, but he still had, but like I said, I have teams with Saquon that are hanging around. And I just keep wondering if like maybe, you know, we'll have that that tide turner. Do you see anyone uh that is like you do you think has potential to be like that kind of like league winning guy these last few weeks or no, just no one? Yeah, uh, Elijah Mitchell. Uh for sure. And then um I guess potentially Javante Williams, although that's going to come down to Melvin Gordon's health. I mean, they, they really show no inclination toward, right. You know, shifting it all to Javante. So it's going to come down to Melvin Gordon's health, but yeah, uh, Elijah Mitchell. And I think that the five catches on six targets last week, probably uh, somewhat of a fluke, but they're going to continue to lean on the run. He has 27 carries in each of his last two games. Uh, You know, the run scheme is great. They're not moving away from that. Uh, they've got a really soft schedule uh, in terms of run defenses down the stretch. So I think that Elijah Mitchell would be um, definitely a league winning candidate. Yeah, everyone was building those preseason 49er stacks and those teams ended up getting there. And it looks like we might not even have Devo, but Elijah Mitchell is like transitive property to all that to say like, mm-hmm. well, at least we had the right idea. Uh, but anytime that they've, I mean, Elijah Mitchell's missed multiple games at different points of the season and the 49ers mm-hmm. have still never 
like even peeled off a little bit. They've just he's gone right back to just being the workhorse and just being the grinder in this. Kyle just loves him. What? Who does? Kyle. Oh yeah, Kyle, yeah, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, just, he's like little Mostert man. Like it's it was one of his yep. top comps in college was Raheem Mostert. Uh, it just is so puzzling that you know they, they nail that pick and you give them credit for nailing that pick, but they do the trade up with Sermon and Sermon is this Trey Sermon great, great on special teams. Yeah, got hurt on special teams last week. What a bummer. Yeah. Oh man, but listen, man, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, it was great to have you on. I think hopefully you know we co- we covered enough of these games and players for people to get good, good grasp of this land, even if they're playing DFS. If you did have a bad run out this season, like some teams did. Uh, you're still playing DFS. There's there's still some dollars to be had and some fun to be had in the fantasy football streets. Uh, I also don't get to thank you enough. I mean, you've been so pivotal, not only on like the the work that I do, but one opening doors for me, you know, at NBC and even with Warren. Uh, so I always get a chance to always like. Well, you deserve you. it more than anyone. Yes. Dude. I mean, you're, you're the best fantasy football analyst in the game as far as I'm concerned. So thank you for having me on your show, Reeves. Uh, listen, I, I will take it any day from you, big dog. Uh, tell the people what you guys got going on at Established to Run for December. Anything cooking? Any cyber deals? Anything? Did we miss the real fun stuff? Uh, I think we, we we just had the cyber deal. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the props are just on fire. I mean, I don't know anything about NBA, but, like, I'm getting these prop notifications <laughs> on my phone from our Discord. And, I mean, it's just absolutely killing it. Makes up for all my stupid bets that I make, you know, personally, like betting on hockey, I, I know nothing about, but I like to have something, you know, when I'm writing like on a Tuesday night or something, I like to have like a hockey game on the background, I know nothing about it, but I know that I can bank on the, these winning prop bets from the NBA team and in, in the NFL team as well. I mean, uh, Adam Levitan is awesome with the uh, NFL prop bets, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it, it's been an awesome year and uh, I can't wait for, uh, you know, the, the first round of the playoffs because, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of getting tired of it. <laughs> yeah, and I did. I, I said, I'm going to try to come, hopefully uh, come watch some playoffs football with you and get down Let's there. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Over Chicago and make some things happen. Listen, I hope you have a tremendous, you know, end of the season here. I'll check on you in a couple of weeks from the bye weeks end uh, as we push through the final end of the season and, uh, wish our own main event team some real good luck. Yep. So I'll be back in week 14 with uh, Matt Harmon uh, next week. So look forward to that, guys.